There is no growth in comfort and no comfort in growth. Business today typically values and promotes leaders for their subject expertise. Leaders who have command of the details and execute based on knowledge and experience are highly respected. However, to grow as a leader, you have to get out of your comfort zone. That means learning to lead without just being the expert. Learn to gain the trust and respect of a team that might know more than you do. Get comfortable with ambiguity and with not having all the information. Develop the skills and confidence to lead in a different way. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm Wanda Wallace. Today, we're going to talk about hashtag me too. So in this era, we have seen far less silence around cases of sexual harassment. And some of us hope that this attention might actually make it possible to vanish sexual harassment altogether. Now, I know that a lot of my clients and a lot of companies that I have worked with have taken sexual harassment very seriously when it has been reported. However, we also know that too often it hasn't been reported or when it is reported, there isn't adequate evidence to take action. Now, today... We've got the opposite situation. A sexual harassment accusation can hit the social media before the company or even the individual involved knows about it. And companies and leaders need to know what to do to prevent it in the first place, as well as how to respond if there is an accusation, whether the case has been proven or not. So my guest today, Davia Timmon, is um, a specialist in advising boards and companies and leaders on how to manage their reputations, particularly in times of crisis. And Davia has been deeply involved in the hashtag MeToo effort, advising companies on their responses. So Davia is the chief executive of Tim and Company, which is a New York management consultancy that helps corporations create, enhance, and save their reputations, focusing specifically on the marketing and the media strategy, the reputation and crisis management. She's been a spokesman for several major organizations during crisis. She coaches a number of global CEOs. She's a frequent speaker and advises worldwide corporations on the strategic direction for their women's council. And she's currently working on 10 different facets of the hashtag MeToo effort. So Davia, Welcome to the show. Thank you, Wanda. It is a true pleasure to be here with you today. Oh, likewise, likewise. I, you know, I've always admired the work that you do in terms of reputation building and crisis management. And what a better topic to talk about than this particular one, because I think everybody is concerned about it. Uh, Whether you've been accused or not accused, or you're the accuser or you're the accused, either way, there's a lot to think about here. And that's what we want to talk about. So let's start at the top of this. We've seen a lot more reports of sexual misconduct, shall I say, in the last year. But what's unique about the environment today? Is this just becoming more frequent? Um, Is prosecution easier? Are people just being less silent? Or is there something else that's driving all of this? Well, if you think about it, this kind of behavior uh, in the workplace or elsewhere has been going on since the days of the cavemen and the cave women, right? Somebody grabs a woman by the hair and drags her into a cave. It's uh, time-tested, honored, and um, abhorrent. But when, you, when recent um, studies have come out, what they've said is that somewhere between 80 and 90% of women both in the workplace and outside of the workplace, have experienced some variant of um, sexual harassment or misconduct or abuse or, frankly, worse. 
So this is at very, very high proportions. Now, when women started getting into leadership roles in the workplace, um, in seriously, on Wall Street, in industry, wherever that might be, I think that it was highly underreported. Probably only the most egregious kinds of things were underreport were were reported at all. Uh, certainly, if it went to any kind of a legal situation, it was almost impossible to prove and didn't get very far. And within organizations, they actually didn't take this very seriously. And if they did, sometimes they took it seriously for more junior people. But star players, uh, the, the the top of the house was often exempt. It was a little bit of a wink, wink, nod, nod kind of thing. Yeah. So what's happening now, I think, is that that things are becoming more aligned. Because of social media, in very large part, the lack of privacy, tape recorders everywhere, videotapes everywhere, and individuals, even within the work situation, getting their own voice and becoming less afraid of using it because they work in groups, things are coming out now that have always happened but have never come out before. Okay. So, and I certainly know in all the companies that I've ever interfaced with, they have a level, I mean, very good policies on this one, but I know of cases where those policies have not been followed, and I'll just add for any of my current clients, it's none of you, I should say. So, nobody calling me up and saying, wait a minute, is that us? No, it's not. Um, but I do think, you know, with social media, the reputational damage forces people to pay attention to it. And I think you're also right with the video and the ability to audio record. We have evidence that we didn't used to have. Well, that's right. And, and I think that um, organizations have been slow, um, not yours and not anybody you're associated with or I, but, um, but they have been slow to understand the difference. And I will tell you, about 10 months ago, I started, you know, I speak on this a lot. I work with lots of corporate boards, lots of, of corporate management teams. Um, around preparing for crisis and then handling it when it happens and recovering from it. So I started to get very uncomfortable at only the anecdotal stories. It's the stories that are fueling this wonderful movement. However, stories alone can lead you to many different conclusions, as we all know. Some of them can be specious, a lot of them very true. But what I wanted to do is try to get a handle on what the real data is, what the, what the real numbers are. So I had one of my staff people, a junior uh, young woman, start, I said, I want to get a list of everyone who has been accused high-profile person accused in the public eye of sexual harassment, and I want as full a list as you could get. And there were none that existed. There were partial lists in different industries, but nothing that was um, as, as big as we could, as, as, as big as we thought it would be. So she started to compile it, and I think that we, we now have, since um, the first Cosby trial, and we've, we've mapped this by months, by industry, by just a million different kinds of things, so we can do cuts and try to get some, some intelligence around this. Uh, from that first Cosby uh, trial, which was December of, um, of 2015, till now, there have been 468 very high-profile individuals where this has been written about in, in at least seven major publications who have been accused of sexual harassment. Um, 
all but nine were men. Nine okay. women. All but uh, all the rest um, men. And um, we have, you know, how that's that's um, come, how that's been, um, how it's been adjudicated, how it's ha- come out in some instances, and it's really rather shocking. It all started to come out after not Cosby but Weinstein. Right. That's where I've noticed that there has been more reporting and more discussion about it. Is after no. the Weinstein. Um, accusations. So just to repeat that, 468 high-profile people who are reported, the, the accusations reporting in seven publications, and all yeah. but nine of those are men. So my next question was, is are women also getting accused? And the answer is yes, but in far less numbers. Minimally. I mean, you know, a, a, a minus fraction. And some of them, by the way, I mean, now some of them, all of them, by the way, there are, there are nonsense accusations in there. And we all know that to be true. But, you know, nonsense applications, um, um, accusations are, you know, it's hard to make these things really seriously uh, if you want to have a career afterwards, if they're, they're specious. So I discount the fact that there are too many of those, and we can talk about that later. But, the, um, but I will tell you that they, they cross every sector. They cross every uh, business line. They cross every entertainment line, law, other kinds of things. Some are handled more better than others. Some uh, HR uh, organizations and boards are demanding that they be handled better, and hopefully we can talk a little bit more about this. Yeah, right. But But it is ubiquitous, and only now are women be feeling empowered enough we can also talk about this, and I hope we do, to be able to stand up and um, sometimes speak truth to power. Yeah. Then yeah. it's up to power to respond in the right way, and yeah. we can do that. Right. It's, um, and I think it's true for women who have experienced um, truly inappropriate behavior, some, some horrible stuff, that... 20, 30, 40 years ago, it was embarrassing to let anybody know that that had happened. There was a bit of you felt guilty yourself that somehow you might have caused it. And one of the things that is happening with the hashtag MeToo is an acknowledgement that it's not an embarrassment for you. It's not something you caused. And I think that is certainly encouraging women to come forth with um, examples or stories or be willing to try to tell the story. All right, so just for the record, because I think there's a lot of confusion around this, how, what do you count as sexual harassment? Can you give me a kind of classification? Such, now, such a good question. Such a good question because, interestingly enough, generationally, different people see different things as being sexual harassment. And okay. there is a huge difference between, say, our generation, I'm, I think yours and mine is probably yes. roughly the same, and um, and uh, millennials coming out of college right now in, in okay. the workforce, I think up to about the you know, early 30s. Uh, okay. Enormously different. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Tell us what, you know. Okay. So uh, younger people are finding more things to be under the rubric of sexual harassment. And I will, I'm going to add here that a lot of this work has been done long before it's been done uh, on, uh, in, corporate, in the corporate world or organizational world, work world. It's been done in colleges and universities. 
And the work around Title IX on the colleges and universities in our country has really uh, paved the way because it really took um, aim at rape on campus and other kinds of sexual harassment and abuse and started to catalog it and students started to demand that there were fair adjudication processes in place. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. these are the kids who have now graduated Right. And I mean, that's, that's ongoing. We work with a lot of colleges and universities around this, just as we work with an enormous number of boards and C-suites around it. But the colleges and universities came first. So this group that's coming out now, if somebody puts their hand uh, in a highly inappropriate place and leaves it there for a period of time, they will say that is sexual harassment. Okay. Right? Now... When I was um, one of the uh, only women in Wall Street, and I, you know, worked in, in that, I would figure out a way to get my elbow right into that person's hand, and um, and I would make a joke, and I would yeah. make sure it didn't happen again, but I would pass it off, and I probably wouldn't say anything to anyone. I know I wouldn't say anything to anyone, but I would, yeah. I would handle it, and I would do it in a joking manner. Not mm-hmm. today, necessarily. There's some okay. who might do that, too. There's much more of a wide variation between what people will think of as sexual harassment and and also between what people will do about it. Okay. Okay. It, that resonates with what I'm hearing from the younger women, because I think there are things that I would just say, okay, there's a simpler way of handling that. We don't need to make a big deal out of it. But exactly. you're right in the college campuses, particularly in the U.S., where all of this work has gone on to make sure that there is no, um, well, it's been called date rape in the U.S., that people sign, they take classes on this one, they sign honor agreements on this one, they can be dispelled from the university, from the college, they can be refused to graduate if they're found guilty. And that has driven an awful lot of work. And that group coming to work in the workplace is going to expect that those same procedures are followed in the organizations that were followed on campuses. That's right. Well, that's now, interesting. By the way, not all campuses follow it. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a, a wide variation in all of these things that we are talking about between best practice, emerging best practice, and what everybody really does. So there's some places that, yes, they heed to best practice, okay. and it's still hard because it's still some ultimately he said, she said, she said, he said kind of thing. So that's okay. hard, but I will tell you that um, the the variability it now extends to the workplace, but I believe that it behooves every organization to seriously look into every allegation, even if you know or strongly suspect that it's specious, that it doesn't, that it you know it really it doesn't um, rise to the definition, your definition of sexual harassment or misconduct in some way. You still have to take it seriously and investigate it because that sends out the signal: one, no one is immune. B, we're not laughing this off anymore. It's not being hidden under a rug, swept under a rug. And we will take action, and it will be unambiguous action. Okay. All right. So talk for a minute then about what you believe. And let's go back to the organizational world rather than the campus world. What do you think organizations, what, what is best practice currently on this one? Okay. Well, 
Um, I think, so, and, and let me just say that one of the reasons I think that this best practice is emerging, too, is that more women on boards and more women in leadership are, you know, they are part of the, the group that's 80, 90 percent. Have, have experienced this as well, so that they are raising the level of attention um, to these issues far more quickly. So are, Wanda, by the way, men who have daughters. So yeah. that there's all this research that says that executives who have daughters, male executives who have daughters, are so much more inclined to be the champion of, of, of women in their organizations. It's really quite remarkable and wonderful because I've seen some wonderful results in some of the places that I advise, sparked yeah. from men who have daughters. So yes. what best practices are, when somebody reports this, first of all, you make it easy to report Um, There are hotlines that you can have. Now, I have a particular point of view on this. Not everybody shares it. I believe that hotlines where these things are reported should go to a third party, not within the company, not straight to HR. And then that third party needs to report those instances uh, to the board, to the risk and audit committee of the board. Now, that's if it's over a certain threshold, and that Mm -hmm. that threshold threshold can be decided. But um, there's some things under the threshold that HR can just handle. But if they're at a high level, if they're at a serious level, uh, HR can be put in a very bad position, and so can everyone else, because victims tend to think that they are there to support the victims. But in some places, that's true, and in other places, um, the CEO and the C-suite may not not believe the same thing, and HR will report either to the chief counsel or to the CEO or COO. So you have to be very careful because things can be quashed at that level. So I think you've got to get the board involved. There's got to be a pristine process in place both for reporting everything so it gets reported, and then for the minute there is something, it being investigated. Right. Seriously, and most often, I believe, by third parties. Okay. I would agree with you about the third party, and I know that that we're adding cost to a company, and I recognize the challenges of that one. But HR is both a steward for the company as well as a representative for an employee, and they do have two hats. They have to protect both the management, the company reputation, and the individual. And it's not always easy for them to get a clear line of sight on some of these um, cases. I have also seen, not in sexual harassment cases, but in other things that get reported to HR, things like misconduct from a manager in terms of shouting, for example. Yep, yep. Sometimes HR gets so worried about it, they actually fan the flames as opposed to calm it down. Because in their judiciary responsibility, they do have to take it seriously. So I agree a third party can kind of bring the temperature down on this stuff and make it much, much more manageable in the long run. Okay? So yes, you know what it isn't? It's not an echo chamber. It doesn't right. become an echo chamber within HR and whatever else. It's just people who have huge amount of experience being able to handle these things in a, in a serious but, um, but non-inflammatory way. All right. So we have a pristine process both to report it and to investigate it, and presumably some tiering of classification. Is this yeah. a small or is this a serious that needs to go all the way to the board? 
Okay. That's right. That's right. All right. And then what do those processes look like? Can you give me an example? <sighs> um, wow. Or a couple of so, points. Uh, <laughs> yes. So obviously everything that I deal with is, is highly confidential and, and I can never even, uh, so I'd have to, I'll make one up, let's say. Yeah. Okay. Um, so um, sometimes you have it, and I've heard in some of my, um, um, with some of my clients, where a, a team is, um, has gone to a, um, let's say an association meeting. And you know how they have booths and they have whatever else, and that at those booths, potentially some of their clients have actually been highly sexually aggressive toward um, women who were staffing the booths. Okay. This is not an atypical thing. You know, you go out, right. you have dinner, there are a lot of drinks, et cetera, et cetera. People want to be very careful with their clients. Their clients are, are extraordinarily valuable. Uh, customers are. So um, they want to treat them well. And um, younger women especially may feel as if there is some um, pressure um, to um, go out after hours drinking and maybe even more. Mm-hmm. So how does that, uh, that, that young woman, who is not so sure of herself, who knows it feels wrong but really doesn't um, necessarily have a strong internal network handle it? Yep. Right? So the, the, yep. the, the, the organization. Now, ideally, often uh, those young women will feel as if they, they should go to their boss. Okay. And they often will go to their boss. So there has to be, there must be some, some strictures in place within the organization to say that if somebody who works for you comes to you with a complaint, it never stops with you. Right. You have an obligation within this organization to report that up along the line. Now, that is probably to HR, so, I mean, we're getting ourselves into this conundrum again. But, you know, that's not a high-level complaint unless something terrible has happened, um, necessarily. But, um, but there has to be a rule that it doesn't just stop, because who knows what complicity the manager could have. Similarly, the manager could be the aggressor. So what do you do then? That's when you have to have a hotline that we just talked about, and it has to be advertised and broadly advertised over and over again. And you have to build in word of mouth that you will be protected if you call this hotline. Because the minute anybody gets uh, negative or gets retribution for doing that, it goes around an organization like wildfire. Wildfire, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, a manager guesses and comes and harasses the individual with why did you call and report me on this and blah, blah, blah. I've heard that scenario more times than I want to count on a number of things. Okay, so I get a sense of, so what you're saying is that a company really needs to go through and, and take the blinders off the kinds of stuff that could happen in their company in a host of ways and say, what are we doing should this kind of thing happen? What's our game plan? How is it reported? What do we do with it? And then more importantly, what's our investigation process? Yep. Okay. You know what it's like? It's like any crisis, Wanda. It's like you have a, a crisis preparedness plan beforehand. Yeah. You think through all the contingencies. You put that in place. Then you have all, when it does hit, you have all the processes in place to be able to block and tackle it. Okay. And, and that stops it from escalating. Hopefully. Yeah, right. 
And that's why your expertise on crisis management is so enormously useful from here. Okay, so how did, let's talk for a minute about the reputational factor in just a couple minutes, and then we're going to take a break. But the, um, you know, so it's in the social media now. Yep. How is a company supposed to respond to this? I mean, is there a cookbook on this one? Or again, is it just we've prepared what we're going to say like a crisis anytime? Well, it's such a good question. Thank you. Um, Yes and no. I mean, there are best practices, but um, but there are there's so much incoming right now. So many, if you will, black swans things happening that you haven't prepared for. You have to be able to pivot. But the but the the core comes from truly caring that within your organization we do not allow this kind of thing to happen. And we are dedicated to getting to the bottom of it and finding out. And we uh, will hold people accountable. So that's the the overall message that has to come out. Now, social media some of the some of the stories are anonymous, and and maybe it, it, we can talk about that a little bit more because that is one of the way that these things happen. Anonymous stories come out, then other people see them within the same company or industry, then they tell their anonymous stories, then other people start to come in after and they affix their names to it. And so then you've got not just one story or two story, but a trend. And it is so much more powerful when there are 6, 8, 10, 15, 50 people saying, my gosh, this happened to me, and it was with the same guy or with the same group or whatever it might be. So um, these are powerful. So what can an organization do? They can have the reputation both inside and then the conversation and the rap outside. We will not tolerate this behavior. It's not, oh, well, we're sending it to our lawyer and blah, blah, blah. No wishy-washy stuff. We will do everything in our power to find out whether these allegations are true, how they have happened, and we will not tolerate it. If we find that they are true, we will take decisive and swift action uh, to make sure they don't happen again. Okay. It's that kind of clarity, crystal clarity of message, backed up by fair due process and action that can keep this from, from, from spiraling out or from happening very much anymore. There'll still be a little bit, but you can really almost eradicate it, I believe. Okay. That's a powerful example. Um, it, it, it's a powerful statement. This notion that having the reputation of a company in the first place of not tolerating a whole range of behavior, including the sexual harassment, that we're not going to tolerate, that's your reputation externally. And internally, it's very clear if something is reported, we will get to the bottom of it. We're going to figure out how it happened. We're going to find out if it's true, and we're going to take action on it. And nothing wishy-washy. No pass this time. It's decisive. It's crisp. It's clear. It's fair. Yep. And it's acted on. Yep. Boy, would that make a difference in the world if all of that had happened along the way in the last 40 <laughs> years. We would be having a very different conversation. Okay, so Davia, we have to take a break. So my guest today is Davia Temin. She's the chief executive of Temin & Company. As you've been hearing all the way through, Davia's specialty is really helping corporations create, enhance, and save their reputations whether it's marketing and media strategy, whether it's their reputation or crisis management. And she's been turning lately to help organizations, boards, universities, global companies, 
figure out what is the best practice for them in this hashtag me too era. And I should also say she has a 15 point plan for boards and CEOs to eradicate sexual harassment in the organization. And I encourage you to go look it up on her website. When we come back, we're going to flip the tables and talk not about the corporation, but about the individual. What do I need to do if I have now been accused? And we'll also talk a little bit about what if I have been the victim of sexual harassment? What do I need to do? We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Is your business running? It should be running smoothly with nary a hiccup, like a finely tuned machine. But if you're like most businesses, yours may be running nowhere close to that. Listen for Operationally Speaking with your host, Sergio Samel. Our program will help you to run your entrepreneurial business easier, better, with less frustration. And by running it well, you're sure to be poised for faster growth. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Davia Temin. She's the chief executive of Temin and Company, an or a management consultancy in New York that specializes in helping companies create, enhance, and save their reputations, and particularly specialists around crisis management. We've been talking about the hashtag MeToo era, and the number one thing I'm going to say just in terms of repeti- repetition from Davia's comment is that it's absolutely imperative if you want to manage this well and manage your reputation as a company that you have a pristine process for both people reporting in the allegations and to a pristine process for investigating it, whether it's a small one or a big one that should go to the board. And much more to say about that one. But I want to turn the tables now and talk about the other side and what to do if you have been the accused. And the reason I'm so interested in this one is since the gender work that I started in 2003, 
men in every continent, in every organization I've worked, have expressed their total fear of getting it wrong with women. Whether it's I demotivate her and I didn't mean to, or I say the wrong thing, or I become a sexual harassment case inside the company I ju- unintentionally. I just don't get it get wrong. And they're very afraid of this issue. So if you have been accused, Davia, what is one to do? Such a good question because, you know, uh, men and women do think differently about these issues. And there are men who really feel they have done nothing wrong and they have done nothing wrong. Um, there are others who feel they have done nothing wrong, but they may not be seeing it from the other's point of view, whoever that other is. So I think the first thing is to listen carefully and try to understand the allegation. I would say that the next thing is to say, to profess your personal code of ethics, that if you have been accused and it is not true, you profess your personal code of ethics and how this, to the best of your knowledge, is just not possible because you have a clear code. But then you would say, but you know, what I have done, my best intentions may have been, may have tried, they may have been wrong. I may not have been understood in that. Somehow I may have, have, have expressed things wrong. And if that is true, I am truly sorry. I am in here to learn, um, to never do this again, to never do it at all. And it certainly, I don't think I did it, but I, but I never want to do that again. And I will apologize if anything was taken wrong. Absolutely. Okay. So in other words, you don't create a, a he said, she said, if you can help it. Yeah. That dichotomy, you know, back and forth. So you show yourself to be open to hearing it, yet not admitting to something that you strongly feel you didn't do. The best way, though, is to start to talk about your personal code of ethics and conduct and that you hold yourself to that standard. Okay. This means also, like many things, like value statements, you can't be going to create this after the event has happened. This has to be something you've thought about and decided, what is my code of ethics and what would I say if I was accused and so forth? Or what would I say in general, just in terms of my values and ethics? Um, I did a radio show last week with Mac Wallace on the whole uh, notion of forgiveness and what the process of forgiveness is. And Mac's notion, is it's very consistent with what you're saying there, but his notion is when there is a relationship and the relationship is going to be sustained, meaning both parties care about repairing the relationship, then it's very important for the person who needs to be forgiven to offer a, an apology. Yeah. And sometimes that apology is, I didn't know that that hurt you. Or I didn't know that that caused you to feel X way. And that's okay, but that you have to be very specific on what you're confessing to. That to just say, I'm sorry, is wholly inadequate. It actually causes more harm than anything. So you have to say, I'm sorry that I left you feeling uncomfortable in that booth with our clients. Well, I think that's that's brilliant. We all know um, the apology that's not really an apology. 
mm-hmm. and which which makes it that much worse. And that is, I'm so sorry you feel that way. I, Meaning, I'm not sorry I did it. I'm sorry it's your fault. I'm sorry you're taking offense at something that clearly wasn't a problem. And, you know, unfortunately, people and organizations in crisis tend to react that way because, you know, defense and denial is built into the human psyche. You're right. 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 Admission and true, authentic uh, apology, specific apology, is hard to do. Yeah. (laughs) Because that means I have to admit that I'm not perfect. (laughs) Um, So, and as Max says, we all will hurt and we will all be hurt. Um, Not that you go around intentionally trying to hurt people, we hope, most of the occasions, but that you didn't think it was going to cause a problem, and it did cause a problem. Um, I will also say, let's getting back to the sexual harassment, a couple of occasions where historically people have reported to me something that has happened to them. And having a peer or a manager or someone who witnessed the event say, I saw. Yeah. And that isn't right. And I want you to know, here's how I'm sorry that you were in that position. And, you know, let me do what I can to try to help you. It goes a long way for making people feel like they're not isolated and have no voice. So you know, um, there's all there there all there's all kind of evidence that shows that sexual harassment training does not really work so well. Ah. Uh, a lot of this is legalistic. It's check the box. It's on your computer. And in fact, what they found has been reported in, in Harvard Business Review is that sometimes that kind of sexual harassment training backfires. And actually, uh, the uh, those men who have taken the court, those those kinds of things, are more liable to blame the victim than less. Mm-hmm. Isn't that so? What does work, however, is what you're talking about, Wanda, which is bystander training. Mm-hmm. And by, you know, we're, we're used to that in terrorism these days. You see right. something, you say something. That works in college campuses. They found, and that works uh, in the workplace. Okay. Great. So somebody, some, some, some generally guy, um, generally um, uh, reports that um, that some he's seen somebody else do something. That is a powerful way to get justice. Mm-hmm. That's a powerful way for organizations if they encourage that to make sure that that these things are stopped and, and slowed down. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yes, I've seen that go on long, long, long ways. All right, so now let's flip the tables for a minute and talk about what if I am the victim. I feel that I have been mistreated, particularly in a sexual way. What's your recommendation on what I do? Yep. Okay, so the first thing is, and this has been shown to be very important um, uh, when people are reporting things even after a while, both in, in, in court, frankly, and also in, uh, in just in, in investigations. It's very powerful. Um, the first thing that you do is tell someone. Tell somebody who you truly trust, a friend usually, sometimes a friend outside of your organization, or, or two or three. 
So, because they will often bring in those people as witnesses, and they said, yes, on on July whatever, um, so-and-so, did, 2015, so-and-so did tell me that this had just happened. The second thing that you can do um, is you can write it down, and you can also send that to, to that person, you know, that with a postmark that shows that it did happen. Um, you know, it's not untoward in this world right now that... Um, not that you would start any kind of legal action, but um, that you would send that to an attorney. Um, because you want to have the cover that it did happen, it happened at that time, you're not, it goes a little bit of a way to show you're not making it up, and uh, there's verification. Okay. You also then, hopefully before then, know a little bit about your organization. You know if there is a hotline, you know if, you, if it's a hotline you can trust, you uh, you understand if these things have happened to other people, uh, and you know maybe what best practice within your organization has been. Mm-hmm. Now, people do tend to go to their direct managers, mm-hmm. as I said before, but um, and that sometimes does work, and sometimes that fix a pro- fixes a problem, but sometimes it is the manager who, <clears throat> who's complicit. So, um, so I believe that you probably go to a number of different people at the same time. Okay. So you'd probably talk to your manager. You'd probably talk to your HR representative. You'd probably call the hotline. Mm-hmm. And if something were truly egregious, of course, you go to the police. Right. Right. Um, but I think that, that what you want to do is do all of that. It probably is helpful, depending upon, again, depending upon that what, what it is. And, you know, I started out my, um, my early, earliest career um, when I was getting my master's in psychology as, as a rape counselor. So um, some of this is a little reminiscent of it. Um, but you also want to, um, uh, de- depending, de- sometimes you confront the person who did it and you can say this is not acceptable. <laughs> this can never happen again, et cetera, et cetera. That's if they're a peer. Uh, but if they are above you in some way, it's much harder to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely true. You can. Um, and in some of these cases, we'd also say before you do that confrontation, you need to do your own work to make sure you can do that in the right emotional state. So you have the best chance for it to be heard. And that often takes, you know, just some time working with how you want to say what you want to say. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. All right. I can't leave this topic without talking about false accusations. Mm. So let me do a small divergence on a story um, that was in the press in the U.S. involving the Duke University lacrosse team. And Mm. this was probably back 2007. I'm thinking, Davey, I haven't looked up the numbers recently. And the lacrosse team was accused of raping Um, At the time, two women, but it eventually became just one woman uh, in a spring break offsite event at one of the team members' houses where a party was going on. And the lacrosse team was immediately suspended. They were slated to go play a national championship shortly thereafter, which they didn't do. The coach was fired. Um, The faculty called for all sorts of break designations rather immediately. And ultimately, it comes to light that it was a false accusation. Yep. 
Now, that is a tragedy for everybody involved because for whatever happened to the young woman, to the woman involved, she had a horrendous time and I'm making no statements one way or the other. And for the lacrosse team, that was horrendous. And for the faculty who were then embarrassed, that was horrendous. And for the coach, it was horrendous. And, you know, nobody comes out of this looking very good. Plus, Duke is plastered all over the media everywhere. But the, and these things, some of them are not always accurate. So what's your advice on handling when it isn't so accurate? How, how yep. do we deal with that? Yep. And I and I, I must say, Wanda, I'm often called in on those. I didn't work in the Duke one, but I certainly have worked on many others. Um, and, um, you know, we are in a social experiment right now in surfacing these kinds of behaviors and figuring out how to um, make them better and how to fix these situations. There are going to be abuses on all sides. And there are going to be these kinds of tragic stories on all sides. I mean, you've got University of Miami or, or, or in Florida, in, in other places, whole football teams or whatever who have mm-hmm. raped young women and right. who were given total passes. The women were told they weren't believed, and the women ended up leaving you know, in, in a heap while yep. the football team plays on. So for every one, you can find another yeah. on the other yeah, side. That's right. That's course. There are going to be um, abuses on either side. Um, when something like this happens, I think what we do have to do is, is quell the rush to judgment. Because, you know, this still is America, and last time I looked, you're innocent until proven guilty, one. Two, that is why you must have this pristine, heated to, clear, and I may say compassionate to all sides, process for investigating and, and for how to do it that is done in every situation. And when people are rushing to judgment, Leaders have to say one way or the other, wait a minute, we have a really great process in place. We are in the middle of that right now. Our goal is to do the absolute right thing in the right way. We will not let harassment and and abuse stand on this campus or in this organization, but we are not going to condemn people before it has been proven either. Okay. Right? So there's got to be a a total... um, commitment to fairness on each side. There still will be issues, but if you keep coming back to your core um, mission of justice, fairness, and compassion, okay, fair enough. I think that, 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 that the organization is very well served. Great. Well, and this comes back to like every crisis management situation, and I know you say this to all your clients all the time, um, pre- armed is, you know, better than nothing. I mean, you need to have a process. You need to know what the process is. You don't need to be waiting until you have your first serious case in the public eye, trying to invent the process in the middle of it, because no one comes out of that clean. So it's about taking it seriously and being prepared for it. You know, there's one other point just to make that they've done some research that says for corporations and companies, organizations, that if they are associated in the public with sexual harassment, actually their reputational capital goes down significantly Mm -hmm. and stays down for quite a while. 
Whereas with other kinds of crises like Equifax or whatever, their stock price will, will take a huge dip, but it comes back. I'm really ah. almost to par. But with, with sexual harassment, it appears to not do that. So this stuff is, um, is real. Wow. That should make every board member not sleep at night. And every CEO not sleep at night until they've gone to review their own processes. And again, as you said, it's a pristine reporting process and a pristine um, evaluation process for investigating. Okay, so let's do this last piece in just a few minutes left, Davia. If you're advising a manager, and again, now male or female, Mm -hmm. how not to get in trouble in the first place. What's your advice on the do's and don'ts in this generation? Okay. First of all, don't overreact, right? So if, uh, you know, don't, if you're a manager, don't not go to dinner with somebody who reports to you when you're traveling. Don't overreact in some silly way that everybody's out to get you. I've heard that time again. It's the wrong reaction to the wrong issue. Um, What you do is you treat uh, people, uh, all people, same sex, different sex, whatever, with uh, physical, psychological, and emotional respect. Okay. That doesn't mean you agree with them. You know, in an, in a in a disagreement, that doesn't mean um, uh, that doesn't mean that you cannot disagree with them. But it means that you respect their physical person. You understand that um, that the, the workplace is not a place for you to uh, fill your physical, psychological, or emotional needs around closeness. Oh, okay. Uh, and you treat everybody that way, and you expect to be treated that way yourself. Maybe okay. you think about how you um, uh, would treat, um, well, not even a child, because you'd hug your child, right? No, this is not that place to do it. This is the workplace. It is about work. You can have a good time. You can enjoy one another's company. But it is not about getting your physical, emotional, or, psych- or, or um, uh, well, physical and, and psychological or emotional needs met. Okay. That means right. you don't have unwanted touching, and you certainly don't expect anything more. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. So let me do a very simple case. There is no, neither side would say there's any sexual harassment in this case involved, but we have a guy who is just a natural hugger, just likes to give hugs, just who he is, just what he does, has no meaning other than friendliness. We have a woman who doesn't like hugs from anybody, including other women, just doesn't like the physical contact. So what's your advice in that situation? This is so hard because, you know, Wanda, I'm a hugger. So, you know, I I think you know that. So I'm so sympathetic to this. I think it has to be. Um, and part of me cringes when I'm saying this, but I think this is where we have to be right now, is that um, you say, yeah, I really want to give you a hug, but is that something that you would mind or would that be okay? Either you yeah. don't do it at all or you do something like that. Now, I have yeah. done that, and I have done that with uh, with men and with women. I mean, yeah. pretty much I have got pretty much all takers, but occasionally somebody said, you know, I'm just, I'm not just, I'm just not that comfortable with it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Yeah. 
At least that would be my solution for it. Yeah, and I think if you do that with a tad bit of humor, and it's just in the recognition of some people like this, some people don't, which side of the fence do you sit on? Let me not get it wrong. Um, And like you, I do that often with clients. It's sort of, are you a hugger or not, is what I ask. And Mm -hmm. then I will say, would you like a hug? Because some occasions that feels appropriate. And sometimes people have surprised me on both sides of that equation, male Mm -hmm. and female. Okay. All right, Davia, we have two minutes before close. Any last piece of advice that you want to offer to companies or to individuals? Yes. So I think that the most important thing is a clear, unambiguous message that sexual harassment or misconduct will not be tolerated within our organization or my organization. It will not be. However, there is a clear, pristine process for how we figure that out. We want to hear the accusations, and we will investigate fairly. Um, And we will also do this with compassion toward victims um, as well as those who have been accused. Okay. Fair enough. That's brilliant. And that would say dust out the notebooks now to make sure you know where your organization is and what has happened, with them, what the process is within your organization. All right, and I just want to repeat that one because I think it's such a powerful message here that the, have a clear, unambiguous message that we or I will not tra- tolerate sexual harassment or other misconduct in our organization or in my organization, whatever is appropriate, and that we have a clear, pristine process. We want to hear any allegations. We will investigate. We will be fair in our investigation and with compassion to both the reporter as well as the accused. And then have that process in place so you know what you're going to do, what happens next. That's it. Okay. At least it's a start. It's a good start. And it certainly makes, I mean, I think it's going to make everybody feel more comfortable. I think there's also in this some advice that we need to be having more conversations in the workplace about what each of us find comfortable and not comfortable. And we need to make that a more accepted thing to say um, so that there is less mis- in, misguided, mis- unintended consequences, I guess is the thing I'm saying. So, Davia, we're out of time. My guest today is Davia Temin, Chief Executive of Temin & Company, a New York management consultancy that helps corporations around the world create, enhance, and save their reputations. Um, Davia has been working with lots of people, lots of organizations around the world on both women's council issues, strategic direction, as well as the conduct around the Me Too issue and how to make sure that you have the right processes and plans in place to protect your reputation. I think the most important part of all of this one too, Davia, is this notion that if your company is accused with something around sexual harassment and it is in the media, we find that the reputation is damaged or you find it and it doesn't recover the same way other crisis management covers. So that would behoove us to make sure we have a really good process. So Davia, thanks for joining us. Great insights. Thank you so much, Wanda. It's a pleasure. Okay, and join us next week for yet another episode on how to get out of your comfort zone and be the leader you'd like to be. Thank you for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.